Once again, folks, welcome to another Wheelchair Wednesday. I am your humble host, Wheelchair Rick. Um, we've got to be to about number 10 on these so far. I'm not sure exactly how many. I haven't really been keeping track, but I'm glad that we're pressing on. I'm hoping that at least these are helping somebody. You know what I mean? I mean, at least, if not helping anybody, you know, maybe kind of give some insights on different people's stories. Today we got another special guest that uh, was brave enough to come on here with me and share a story. Um, we're going to get to him, but before we do, let's hit the intro. All right, so today with us um, is a guy I kind of looked over a little bit, and he's got a lot of stuff to tell us uh, what he does. This guy is is uh, pretty phenomenal. So without any further ado, let's get to it. Mr. Ian Cannon. What is up, sir? What's up, brother? How's everybody doing? Uh, thanks for tuning in. Uh, you know, I appreciate the opportunity to come on. I love your work. I love the storytelling, my man. Yeah, I appreciate it. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. I was You actually uh, approached me, I believe, and you said, hey, how, how do I get on that thing? I said, man, you're on it. Just give me a minute and we'll, we'll get you on there. Um, so today you're actually part of a special back-to-back episode uh, with you. And then I was talking to you earlier about the, the Joseph Huerta. This is kind of something we've never done before, but I'm glad that you're a part of it. Um, before we get into the questions that I have, though, I know a lot of people have seen your picture with you and uh, a famous somebody by the name of Mark Wahlberg. Uh, why don't you go ahead and tell the people about about that and let them know? Well, you know, Mark and I have been in the same friend circle for several years, Um through Mickey Ward, through John Red Shea, boxing people both, and great trainers both that I had the luxury to work with. Um, but I also worked in the film business for a brief time. Uh, and so for me, it was uh, it was great to get a chance to meet and work with Mark. We worked on a film called um, Spencer Confidential. Mm-hmm. And it was, uh, it was just a boatload of fun. He's a great fitness guy, a great boxing guy someone I really respect and look up to and happy to call a friend. That's awesome. That is awesome. Um, so before we get into these questions, I'm just going to let you know kind of briefly, there's, there's, I think 10 roughly, uh, we might throw a couple here and there. We might have some live people answer questions or ask us questions, Eddie. And that doesn't mean nasty questions. We want some good questions here now. Come on. Um, my buddy, Eddie Weber, you'll see it later. I might delete it. Uh, but he said, he said, yeah, I got a question. How do you stay swimming in blank? I'm just going to leave that last word out. Um, but anyway, we have the first question, which is, is the most important, I believe, is how did it happen? How did your accident happen, and how did you end up uh, in a wheelchair? So I've been living the disabled life from day one, as I put it. I've been fighting to get to zero. That's the way that I describe living with CP. Okay. Um, you know? I was born with spastic dystonic quad CP. They thought I was going to be cognitively impaired, nonverbal, sort of every parent's um, every parent's worst nightmare. And thankfully, I ended up cognitively okay and clearly verbal. Okay. And and uh, but I hated PT. Right? I it was boring to me. They weren't pushing me enough. They like to. They like to baby you a little bit, as we all know, if we right. live this life. 
whether whether a diagnosis is SI or CP or whatever the heck it happens to be. And, um, you know, uh, boxing was just kind of it for me. I saw the movie Cinderella Man as a 12-year-old with Jimmy Braddock, and I had a lot in common. We were both Irish. We both had no left hand. Me because of CP, his because he kept breaking it. And <laughs> in my little adolescent brain, I thought, well, if he can do that, I can do that. And begged my mom one day after a particularly rough day at school if I could go to the gym. My mom and I didn't really get along at the time, so she right. said, if you don't argue with me, we can go to the gym. And needless to say, I didn't go there as much as I thought, being a hot a teenager. And, uh... How old was you when you first went to the gym? Or I to was the... 14. Okay. I was 14. All right. Cool. And how did you so, start oh, out? I mean, when you, when you went in there, what was the first, you know what I mean, interactions like? First interactions, you would think that boxers wouldn't be very disability accommodating or very disability friendly, right? No, but it was the opposite. I mean, I was welcomed by former world champion Israel Pito Cardona, former ESPN commentator, and and uh, contender John Scully, John Iceman Scully, who gave me my nickname years later. They welcomed me, and they just said, if you want to do this, we'll figure it out and work with you. And I got to work with uh, Chris Lombardi and Pito for, for years. Nice. Until, uh, you know, it was until I grew, managed to meet so many other great celebrities. And because of the fact that this was so unique from a biomechanics standpoint, um, so many people wanted to work with me. I used to call up different gyms of trainers that I would see on ESPN or HBO or Showtime and say, hey, this is my story. Can I come and learn for you? Uh, and because it was different and unique for them, they would invite me down and, that's sort of how the fitness component of my journey started. The competitive component was a little bit different, but we can get into that later if you guys want. Right, right. Um, and really, I mean, it's it's kind of remarkable um, to the point to where it reminds me of the old saying, closed mouths don't get fed. You know what I mean? If you want to do something, you got to put yourself out there to do it. You can't just sit around and wait for it to happen. You know what I mean? Um, let's see here. So... The next question is kind of, I don't know, I kind of, you know, branded this around like paraplegics or quadriplegics, um, but it's pretty much, I would think this would kind of be a no-brainer to you. If you could go back, obviously, you know, when, when you're, when you're, it's not really even an accident because you were born like that, but it's pretty much would you walk if you could, if you could go and, and, and take back, you know what I mean, everything, if you could just live a different life and walk, would you do that or would you still stick with the life you have now? I would stick with the life I have now. You know, I think it made me a better communicator, a better business person, right. better romantic partner, a better son, because it allowed me to access emotions and empathy so much differently and so much more early than a lot of my peers. And I don't mean that in a bad way to the able-bodied community, not at all. But, it, but as we both know, living this life, it forces you to get real in so many different and unique ways, right? Right, right. For sure. Um, I also want to give a shout out to all you people out there liking and sharing. Um, I see you like I don't know if you can hear me, and but when they when they like and share, like stuff pops up and it makes noise. I should probably turn that down for the next ones, but um, we really appreciate it. That's that's a cool thing about going live. Um, so my next question is dating slash married. 
Like, are you, uh, how's that go for uh, you? I'm, I'm in a relationship. She's wonderful. She's watching. Um, thank you, baby. I'll talk to you later. <laughs> you're having a great day. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, we've been together for a few months and she is able-bodied and, you know, we talk about this life and how normal and how different it is compared to able-bodied dating all the time. Um, right. You know, it's one of those things that you have to communicate with your partner, and there are things about it that you have to find funny. Yeah, you got to have comedy, man. That's that's a fact. I've, I I can personally say without without being funny and having laughs, and, you know, it, it would be a lot worse. That's for sure. Um, So for you being a wheelchair user for, I mean, most of your life, I would say, if not all your life, what what is your biggest pet peeve about being in a wheelchair my biggest pet peeve is twofold, being babied or spoken to as if I'm not cognitively with it right. by the community that doesn't know better, or being being limited environmentally by things that should be run-of-the-mill. Um, and when I say that, I mean doorways, I mean restaurants with only bar-top tables, yeah. um, like that. Right. If you don't have a paddle button, am I going to get mad at you? No. But if you're a doctor's office without a paddle button, am I going to scratch my head and go, that doesn't make any bloody sense? Absolutely, I am. Right. You I should know, probably that... call the ADA about this situation. I say that all the time. <laughs> like, I'm sure the ADA oh, would I... love to hear about this. Oh, I absolutely do. And that's the same thing that I say. Because there's a quote that I live by. I don't want to be a product of my environment. I want my environment to be a product of me. Right. We, that's a um, good one. The the disabled community is really a silent minority. We right. don't really have we don't really have an adequate political voice, and I think that that's something that needs to change. I'm not saying that that's me. I'm not announcing my candidacy for any office here, but I'm saying some of us need to step up and really look at the economics of how we live our lives, and use that as a tool um, to make some environmental changes. Yeah. Yeah, I I wholeheartedly agree. Um, you know, with the whole wheelchair mafia idea, like it's not well, I I didn't come up with the wheelchair mafia thing like this. You know, you see it all around. But my thing is, is I believe it's like we should all stick together and we should all be in this together and we should help one another as much as we can. And for those who have more voice than others, you know, what I mean, we shouldn't be shouldn't be afraid to raise that voice every now and then to to you know let people know our stances on situations and what we would like to see change and like you said i mean this world is not meant for us it's not built for for handicapped people um it's just not that's the way it is um although people are getting better at it, i gotta say there are certain businesses and people out there that are trying at least you know what i mean um, oh absolutely what is number number five here is something that you wish you could do what is something that you wish you could do that you know being in your situation prohibits you from doing now you know, I would say just pick up my keys and go, right? right. So many of us in, in our situation don't have the luxury of doing that. And for me, when I'm having a bad day and I want to get out and get out of the house, I got to deal with PCAs, I got to deal with transferring into the car and all the craziness, whereas my friends that are in my able-bodied life, they can just bounce and do what they want to do and go clear their heads. We don't have that luxury, which is why so many of us become you know such cerebral people because we're forced to be right yeah i totally 100 percent agree with you there too i mean in my my personal situation right now 
Um, I can't even go outside and like come inside here or get in my van or anything unless somebody helps me do it. Um, so totally understand you there. Uh, the number, the next question I have for you, number six is, uh, what's your pain level like? Do you, do you have any pain at all? Yeah, I've got, I mean, we've got chronic pain and, um, you know, 15 plus years of getting, of, uh, of getting beat on and plus CP, those, uh, those things pile up, you know, and it's just, and it's just one of, um, whether it's spasticity, spasticity is my biggest issue right now. Right. And when you hit 30, man, you realize, oh crap, I'm not 20 anymore. Um, so there are things you got to do, whether it's back with men or cannabis or any of those things to make it so that it is, there's a difference between manageable and functional, right? And right. I think that as long as we can achieve function and go through our daily lives and live our daily routines, whatever those routines are, that's a victory for everybody. And I think fitness is a huge component of mitigating that pain, whether you're have CP, you're a para, you're a quad, you've got to be able to do something to um, to be active and, and mitigate your pain through taking care of yourself. Right. That was another kind of question that I had. It wasn't really numbered, but as far as like fitness, um, which, I mean, we kind of already covered that with, the, with you do the boxing and I'm sure you do, uh, you know, workouts and different, str- you know, I do like TheraBands. So I do TheraBands and then free weights if I can some days but there are bands and free weights are great i mean that was a huge component of my career when i was an active fighter was there are bands and free weights and machines because it's it's not all about throwing punches you got to hit those active muscle groups you got to do what you need to do and, and and build on your body because for us chair bond people as long as we can manipulate our body weight as much as we can i.e transfers i.e uh, ADLs, all that fun stuff, it really will impact our lives in a positive way and give us that sense of control that we were looking for. Again, our environment being a product of us, I go back to that. Right, right, for sure. Um, the next question I got for you is, is what helped you the most kind of, and and it's, it's worded as after injury, but for your for your particular situation, what helped you the most kind of uh I guess, you know, live with C P? Uh, my family and boxing. I think those are the two things that helped me the most. Because if you think about it, my my parents, uh my dad and mom and uh my extended family raised me to view myself as a quote-unquote normal, even though I hate that word, individual, that I could accomplish anything that I wanted to. So for me, when I found boxing, because it was the most one of the most difficult sports you could ever do, and when I helped create the style that we have here in the U.S. and sort of, you know, make it UFC of boxing, um in the sense that we were building the sport as we went along, but really focused on the fitness. It allowed me to rely on a body that was supposedly broken, that the rest of the world would view as broken and almost usable. Right. And you can Im- and if you can imagine the sense of empowerment that came from that, truly, truly um, 
mind-boggling and truly empowering. Yeah, when I think of uh, cerebral palsy, the first thing that comes to mind is not a dude in a boxing ring giving it to another guy. You know what I mean? Like, that's just nothing that you think about. No, it's uh, it, it's. I wish we got a video. I should have played it. I should have got a video ready or something because I did. I have seen some footage. Um, I don't know if it was you or if it was just you know somebody boxing in the ring, but like. Um, somebody has actually shared it to me. They said, did you look at this? And I looked at it. And they had little, uh, I think it was like five-ounce gloves or something like that. Uh, we we fought with 10-ounce gloves. 10-ounce, okay. 10-ounce gloves and headgear. But still, so that's, the way it, man. I couldn't do it. I, I could, but <laughs> I, 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 I'm, I've never really been that much of a fighter. But to, sit, to know that I'm in a wheelchair and, like, you know, I remember what it was like to move and juke around, but in order just to sit there and just take it and give it, oh man, I don't know, man. You got you got more gumption than me on that that aspect. Well, I mean, it's it's all about technique, right? When we designed wheelchair boxing as a competitive entity, it really was about points and amateur scoring. It's not about knocking a guy out like you see in the pros when you right. watch Mayweather and all those guys. It's about punches landed and accuracy, which is what you see in the Golden Gloves and the Olympics and all that kind of stuff. Mm. So it's manipulating, uh, manipulating your body, positioning your punches, your output and your volume, and scoring cleanly. That's really what it's about. It's not about hurting anybody. Right. Have I, you know? So we were able to. But do you do get hurt, though, right? Oh, I mean, yeah, I've gotten a few bloody noses and a few bruised hands. Uh, and, but, you know, we designed the safety protocols so that everyone is working effectively. Right. And we work with great professionals. Famous ringside referee Steve Smoger, uh, founder of the American Association of Ringside Physicians, Dr. Michael Schwartz. And they built the rules with us to make it as safe but yet as competitive as possible. Right. Man, that sounds intriguing. I definitely want to check it out. Um, before I get to the next question, do you have any like YouTubes or anything you guys do or any kind of videos that you guys put up? Or Oh, yeah. You can look me up in YouTube. My amateur title fight when I won the Rocky Marciano New England Championship is up. Uh, several of my fights are up. A lot of my old workouts are up as a kid. Um, you can reach out to me on social media. I'm more than willing to help anybody with mobility issues foster their fitness and learn whatever they want to learn i'm very very accessible pardon the pun but that's well, and what we to could do. do too is um after all this um i'll take you know if you want to send me the link to that i'll just go ahead and we'll throw it in the description that way people can just click it and check it out you know what i mean absolutely absolutely i'll be i'll be more than willing to send that over to you nice um, this well this next question i mean we've kind of already been talking about it but like hobbies um before and after injury but i mean like you you pretty much are just are you into boxing what else you like to do you do any kind of like model building or what i'm a i'm a boxing guy i'm an mma guy and and i'm a and i'm just a i'm just your regular guy that you would meet and probably want to have a beer and a cigar with you know right. i love to read i love to watch my sports i love to uh catch up with a cigar with my friends not that i'm advocating tobacco use or anything like that but you know it's it's a hobby and play poker with my boys and spend time with the dog. Right. I am crazy as it seems, just like anybody you'd run into from the old neighborhood. Just That's a regular exactly old guy. What. That old Ian. Oh, yeah. Yep. Um, 
next question is travel. Now, me, if I spend too much time in a car, you know what I mean? Because I, I can drive my van or whatever, but, like, even riding or driving, um, it just, it's murder on my back. I mean, it just, you know, because I'm a T3, T4, so I'm right chest back, and I got, like, two rods in my spine. And if I spend too much time in a car, it's too, it's too much. So I have no aspirations of going on boats or cruises or trains. What about you? Do you, do you like to travel? Or are you into that travel stuff? Or? Oh, I love travel. Um, yeah, I've got a, I've got a few, uh, I've got a few trips coming up. Uh, my girlfriend and I travel frequently. Um, we were just in Springfield, Mass, which is about an hour car ride away from my birthday. I go up to Boston and visit old training partners and friends all the time. Uh, this um, summer, I'm taking a trip out to uh, Fresno and San Francisco to see some friends with her. It's gonna be uh, it's gonna be a great. Uh, you know, I've been to L.A., San Diego, uh, San Antonio, New York, New Jersey, and all over New England. So for me, it's just what I love to do, and I love to explore new places because I can. Because in the car, I sit in my chair. I've got a uh, I've got an MV1, so it's really easy for me to travel and do what I need to do. It's a pity they don't make them anymore. That kind of brings me up to my next question: is is what type of chair do you got, and do you do you have a name for it? So, my regular chair, I don't have a name for. Uh, it's a tie light, you know. Yeah, light. Yeah. Great because you can throw them around and if you're not in an accessible place it's very easy to pop up the steps and do what you need to do uh the chair that i use for boxing i actually built i bought a quickie two frame designed it and built it in a, a friend's shop about um 15 years ago so are you a, a full-time manual chair user or do you use a power chair as well i use a power chair for certain outdoor activities if um Camping or backpacking, I will use my old arrow um, that I still have. If I'm day to day, though, in the regular able-bodied world, I'm using my manual chair. All right, all right. So this brings me to—I don't know—we can get to some other stuff after this, but the last question that I have for you, which I believe is one of the most important, is if you could give some advice to either a newly injured person or maybe just a young person that's growing up with CP. You know what I mean? That might want to look to somebody for advice. What is the best advice you can give that person? Well, I'm going to split it into two categories, right? Social and just life in general. Social is if you treat your disability like it's no big deal, whether it's dating or your friends or whatever, they will treat it like it's no big deal. And I recognize that that's really, really hard. I do. But it's it's really important because it helps destigmatize what we have going on in our lives. Right. And then I think for regular life, it's a matter of recognizing what you have that is your X factor. Our disability knowledge is a very valuable tool for companies, real estate developers, uh, whatever it may be in terms of employment. Figure out how to monetize that. Figure out how to broad- broadcast that message. And you'll never be without income. You'll never be without a way to uh, to uh, to fulfill your life. Right. From an economic standpoint. For sure. Well, I mean, as far as questions go, that's pretty much it. I think you did a really good job uh, as far as covering everything. Now, um, is there anything else you wanted to kind of go over? I remember before you said something about... Uh, 
getting into the old uh, the fighting thing and how you were starting or I don't know something like that. Oh yeah, I mean, you know the the background of what we did was it started out as fitness. It started out as PT, uh, sort of a PT sub. They wanted to fuse me and uh, do a spinal fusion for my scoli for years. I didn't want to be limited mobility wise, so I kept telling them no. So. My dad, whose family was in medicine, my grandfather, who was GP for 50 years, who's no longer with us, um, they recognized the biomechanical benefits of boxing and building up the trunk and rotating and twisting and doing all the things that a lot of us need to do and building up that core, right? So then after doing that for several years and gaining weight and gaining mobility and improving fine and gross motor, um, I wanted to compete like my friends, so we, my able-bodied friends, so we decided to say, hey, let's tweak the rules, let's build the equipment, let's work with some great professionals, and make it a reality. And as a result of that, I mean, I got to train with some of the best people in the world. Irish Mickey Ward from The Fighter. Mickey was in my corner my last few. Uh, renowned New England promoter Rich Capiello, cousin of Rocky Marciano. Nice. Vinny Pat. Um... Freddie Roach, trainer of Manny Pacquiao, who also suffers from pugilistic Parkinson's and who gets the whole neuroside of CP better than most because of his challenges. I mean, these are guys that not only got to train me, but that I got to be friends with. And I think the cool thing about boxing is it's one of the most accessible sports in the country. You can't call up Tom Brady, but you bloody well sure can call up Freddie Roach and talk to him and... Thankfully, these guys took me under their wing, and I learned about fitness, and I learned about the business of sports from these guys, and right. how to effectively function in the world of entertainment. So that was that was my passion, and thankfully, I got to live it. That is awesome, man. That is awesome. Very interesting. Um, so when we get out of here, first off, let me thank everybody that's watching or that will watch this. Um, before, you know, when we got out of here, I want you to send me your stuff, give me a link, um, and then we'll put that link down below. That way, people can check it out. You know, click on it and kind of get get your uh, you know Instagram, whatever YouTube. We'll put all your socials on there. Um, and then you know anybody else who wants to join up Wheelchair Wednesday, just don't be afraid. Send me a message. We'll get you on here like Ian. Um, so with that being said, sir, I gotta say I appreciate your time. Uh, if you want to stick with me real quick, we're gonna go ahead hit the outro. We're going to let these people go, and then me and you will uh, chop it up for a little bit until we, we say goodbye. Perfect. All right. Well, guys, let's give a round of applause for our friend Ian here. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. You, my, you, my friend, are a true warrior. I got to say, I really did appreciate that. Um, and you know what? We're going to keep you around because maybe next year, once we get everybody that's went on for the whole year, we might do like a special or something. I'm not sure how we're going to do it, but it should be interesting to get everybody together. Um, so until next time, we'll see you guys actually later on today, uh, at 6 PM, we got another guy. Um, so we'll see you then. See ya.